Thank you, fellows, very much. Let's pray together this morning. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Father in heaven, we are indeed grateful for the opportunity we have at this time to look into the perfect law of liberty, to examine its truths, to know them and to do them, to experience what it means to be blessed in our deed. Lord, we need your help as we look and examine to understand. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open eyes of unbelief, eyes that have no problem understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, eyes that have no problem or issue with him being born of a virgin, eyes that have no problem seeing or ears discerning that he died for the sin of mankind, he was buried and he rose again. I pray, Lord, that you would help those who understand all those things intellectually to submit their will and their lives to them volitionally and be born again today. Our greatest fear, Lord, is that souls can sit under the preaching of Christ and just know about him without knowing him. So, Spirit of God, help us today in that regard. For those who have experienced the reality of all that's been sung this morning, being secure in Jesus Christ, may our hearts be thrilled once again to recall the great truths of the gospel message. And may we leave much more strengthened than when we came. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 in your Bibles this morning. We began in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 last week. The second most significant portion of this book. If you need a Bible to follow along with, our ushers will be glad to get you one. If you'd like to just raise your hand, they'll find you. It'd be great to follow along with us today. If you have your Bible on your device, Romans chapter 3. I will rehearse at least this much because our previous services are so available now. Uh, online in several different places. They can be ordered if you rather have them on DVD or CD. Um, but anyways, I will rehearse just a little bit and then continue on where we left off from last week. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed upon men and it remains revealed upon men whether they're irreligious, whether they're moralist, or whether they're religious uh, until they turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. But the righteousness of God has also been revealed. And that's the beginning of the second most significant section of the book of Romans in Romans 3 and verse 21. We highlighted last week as we read these 11 verses, 21 to 31, how many times a form of the word righteous or faith or justified were mentioned. On your own time, maybe this week, 
go back and in your Bible reading, I would encourage you to underline all the forms of those words as well. Righteousness, faith, believe, or justified. This is really um, a full to overflowing context about the sufficiency of the sacrifice and atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf and on behalf of every sinner ever born on earth. God is capable to save because his son died a sufficient death for the sin of all mankind. No one here may disagree with that. But as I prayed in the morning service, before we began the morning service, this portion of it, my greatest concern this morning is for those who know who have not surrendered their will to who Jesus Christ is and made him Lord of their lives. My fear is that when we stand before the judge of all the universe upon our death, or at that great white throne, more specifically, that we would have approached that throne thinking we were born again just because we knew a lot about Jesus, only to be told by him, depart from me, I never knew you. You didn't know him. You were never born again. You never miraculously transformed on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So intellectual data about Jesus is not enough. I mean, even Jesus was very, very clear about that in his teachings to the religious sectarians of his day. Even the Apostle James was very clear that even the demons know a lot about Jesus and it causes them to tremble. Dad is not enough. When Jesus told Nicodemus, the religious sectarian being drawn of God to be born again, uh, what he said to him means the same for us. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I told my kids as they were growing up, before they were saved and since they've been saved, the longest 18 inches in the world is from here to here. It's the longest 18 inches in the world. And really, it takes an act of God's miraculous grace to take what we know about Jesus and surrender our hearts and let him change our lives by his grace. Righteousness is revealed. Righteousness is revealed. And we've divided this immediate context up into several sections. I'll remind you of those sections. Last week, we began to discuss our right standing our righteousness in Christ described. Our righteousness described. This morning, we'll wrap that up and continue on our right standing as a requirement. Our right standing as a requirement. At the end of verse 22 and verse 23, we'll progress this morning to verse 24, our right standing as presented. Our right standing is presented by God through the hand of Paul. And then verses 25 and 26, our right standing announced. Our right standing announced. And really, we're going to conclude with three different simple questions in verses 27 to 31. Verses 27 to 31. Let's go back to the end of 
our first point, our right standing described in the first couple verses here of this context. Paul says, but now apart from the law, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for there is no distinction. Multiple phrases here that we'll review and highlight as we move on that we discussed last week. Our right standing described as, first of all, described as being apart from the law. Secondly, a righteousness that's sourced in God. Third, it has been manifested. It has been next attested both by the law and the prophets. And then next this morning, as we continue on with our right standing described, it is described as coming through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ is the next phrase here. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on this particular section recounts the story of a Roman poet named Horace who, while penning some directives for writers of tragedies of his day, said this, Do not bring a god onto the stage unless the promise, the problem, is one that deserves a God to solve it. As you write your tragedies, as you write your stories, never bring a God onto the stage unless the problem presented on the stage deserves or needs a God to solve it. Well, pretty wise advice for a pagan poet. But think about that in the spiritual sense for us this morning. The Apostle Paul knew, as he's penning these words, that he had to have a God to step on the stage of his life and intervene to miraculously transform his life. He also knows that this is the Lamb of God that's been presented to take away the sin of the whole world. He knew that a divine source was necessary to step on the stage of human history to solve man's collective problem of sin. So, our right standing before God only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important to note something here for all under the preaching of God's word here today. It does not say that our right standing with God comes through faith in God. I would say the majority of our world, our culture, would have no problem saying, I believe in God. It's not enough. Paul's very clear here. Belief in God is insufficient. You will never believe in the Lord Jesus Christ unless you first believe in his Father. That's true. But merely belief in God is not enough. Our right standing with God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And the genitive here, the Greek grammar, is objective. Jesus Christ is the one in whom faith should be placed. 
It is faith in Jesus Christ. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Real quickly, go back a, a chapter here. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is rehearsing some gospel content here with the Ephesian pastors, who he will never see again, and he's recounting his time with them, which included the preaching of the gospel. And let's go back up here, really, to verse 18. And when these elders had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with all tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What you'll notice as you study the Bible, and particularly in, in reference to the use of the words faith and repentance, is this. Often in the New Testament, when you see one it is implying the use of the other. Sometimes you'll just see the word faith. You're familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. Repentance is not mentioned in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. There'll be other contexts where just the word repentance is utilized. In this context that we just read in Acts 20, 21, both are utilized. When you see them both used in any verse in the New Testament, you'll always see repentance first. Now, when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I believe it's verse 9 where the Apostle Paul is commending the Thessalonians' belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's commending them on how they turn to God and from idols. Repentance comes second and faith in God comes first. Here, repentance is first and faith in God is second. But sometimes these, verse, these words are used in different verses all by themselves. What we're talking about here are two words of conversion language. What we do know, in order to be biblically converted, to be born again, you must turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you must place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn from your sin. I call it two sides of my conversion coin, if you will. What good is your coin if it only has heads on it? If you hand that across the counter as currency and they flip it over and they don't see a tails, it's counterfeit. Right? Both are necessary to equal that, the value of that coin. Repentance and faith, faith and repentance, they're both necessary. This pulpit will never argue over which one comes first. But what we do know is that you must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that does include a miraculous ability to turn from your sin at the same time. 
When Jesus interrupts the course of your life, he interrupts the course of your life. It is a redirection. It's not so much if you died today, or are you sure you're going to heaven? Or if you died today, do you know where you're going? That really is an okay question in reference to the gospel. But I don't believe it's a primary question. The Lord Jesus himself said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And in that context, he was not specifically referring to eternal life. He came to give you a spiritual directive while you were still living and breathing on this earth that transformed the way of living according to his will only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as I've already stated, this does not say faith in God. And we would be less than honest with the gospel if we said within a biblical theology of the conversation of being born again, we said it just included faith in Jesus Christ. Because when you look at texts in comparison, as we've done this morning, specifically in Acts 20 and alluding to other contexts, both faith and repentance are necessary. So if you say, Pastor Tim, I know that I'm right with God because I believe in God. And that's all I've done. On the authority of Scripture, you're not right with God. If you say, well, I have faith in Jesus Christ, and that's all that's necessary on the authority of God's Word, that's not correct. In order to be born again, you must turn from sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, I don't know that anyone can truly be born again unless at the moment of their conversion they actually do believe that they're the worst sinner on earth. And folks, as I've said in weeks previous, I remember that when I was five years old. At five years old, I could understand and I believed at that moment. I'm 49 49. Yeah, wow. So, 44 years? Born again. I remember 44 years ago, like yesterday, and it still makes the hair in the back of my neck stand up straight. I can remember being terrified that I was living under the righteous wrath of God at Five, you say that's crazy. No, that's God. That's the work the Spirit of God does in any soul that's truly born again. Right. As I stated before, I knew I was a thief. I was quickly developing into a kleptomaniac at five. And I loved it. Right? There is pleasure in sin. A stolen Snickers or a stolen grape for a season. <laughs> but after that comes judgment. So, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from our sin, placing our faith in him. What's the scope? What's the scope? It's very, very clear in verse 22 how far-reaching. It's 
for all those who believe. For all those who believe. And again, I encourage you to go back and underline the word faith in this text. It's synonymous with this one word, believe here. For all those who believe. Everybody. It's available to everybody. Why? Because the righteousness of God in Christ has been and continues to be manifested with the emphasis on today. God's offer of righteousness to you, his son's righteousness, is just as effectual today as it was the first day that the New Testament church had begun. It's available for all who believe. For God so loved the world that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who what? Who are in Christ Jesus. The wrath of God is revealed Removed and the righteousness of Christ revealed is known to the individual. And I would ask you again, have you surrendered yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you part of that scope? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 is a favorite passage of mine. The apostle John says that Christ did not come to die for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world. We summarize it like this. The death of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all men, but efficient for those who would believe. Sufficient for all men, but efficient for those who would believe. Beware of anyone, beware of anyone that says, and I have some friends that say this, but I caution you, beware of anyone that says that Jesus Christ's death was only for those who believe. The righteousness of God is revealed. Just as the wrath of God is comprehensively revealed, there's no selective I know this is a little bit deeper for some of you that have been Christians a little bit longer. There's no selective revelation of either in the Bible since sin came into the world. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and Romans 5 tells us all men are born in sin because of his sin. We'll get to that in a few weeks. God's wrath was upon man at that point. But what happens in the same chapter in Genesis 3.15 the first pronouncement of a coming Savior. The wrath of God's been revealed upon all men, and the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ has been revealed upon all men, and neither is selective. They're both offered. And you have the opportunity, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to believe and to fall under the scope of the reality of knowing a right standing with God in Jesus Christ. It's awful quiet. I hope I said that okay. Amen. Your minds are just churning.
or you're tired. It is hot in here. But I don't see anyone sleeping, so that's like really cool. For it to be hot in here and no one's sleeping, that's like really good. So you're either really confused or you're really interested. I'll go with the latter. All right? All right, let's keep moving. All right, Roman numeral number two, that's the conclusion of our right standing described. Now, our right standing required. Look at verses 22, the third part of verse 22 and verse 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our right standing required. Think of a heroic act of an army commanding officer. In the heat of a firefight, returning to the heaviest gunfire to retrieve a wounded but living soldier because under his command he's been trained that no soldier would ever be left behind. At the moment of decision, that officer would never think the following. Well, Corporal so-and-so has been quite a real problem since he's been under my command in this battalion, so I think I'll let him suffer a bit more before I save him. And there's another ailing yet living soldier next to corporate so, Corporal so-and-so, and he says, you know what? This guy's not even hurt as bad as corporate so-and-so, Corporal so-and-so, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to rescue him first because he's been a real do-gooder under my command, and he's very, very well respected. No, folks, in the heat of battle, those wounded soldiers are afflicted, and at that point, there's no distinction between the two. Neither one of them will be left behind in their affliction. So at that point, the officer makes a decision. I will rescue both. As a matter of fact, if the more evil soldier is wounded worse, and his wounds are more life-threatening then the good soldier, I'm going to go after the evil one first because he's about to breathe his last. And I'm going to triage the situation. They're both coming out, but I'm going to go after him first. In our sin-sick world, God sees our world simply that way. There is no distinction of who's more sin-sick than the other. All are necessary to be rescued. Amen. All are necessary. This right standing is absolutely required. There is no distinction. And then it says later on in chapter 10 and verse 12, if you want to write that in the margin of your Bible, Romans 10 and verse 12, no distinction is actually no distinction nationally. The gospel is offered both to the Jew and to the Greek. To the Jew and to the Gentile. There's no distinction spiritually. There's no distinction nationally or spiritually. Of course, we see that in the whole immediate context that preceded our present context in chapter 1 and verse 18 
through chapter 3 and verse 20. There's no distinction. Why? Verse 23 answers why there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned. The language of the New Testament tells us all of us at some point in our past have broken God's law. We have transgressed his character. And all fall short. What I find interesting about this phrase, all fall short, is this. It's in the middle voice, which may mean nothing to you, but all that means that of our own volition, we stepped out and transgressed God's character and God's law. It's the middle voice. We all did it on our own. There's never going to stand anyone before God's court on judgment day and be able to say, she made me do it. Or he made me do it. Or I ended up in prison for being a drug dealer because I was assaulted by my parents as a child. There are going to be no victims standing before God on judgment day. There will only be those who know Jesus and have been justified in Jesus or there will be those who don't know Jesus. Do you understand that? There will be no victims before God on judgment day. None. And I say that with all the kindness and compassion in my heart because I did not live the life of a victim. I had a great family, great home, great education. I had a great everything. And I ministered to those who have been assaulted and afflicted. And I, I don't think I could ever understand the guttural agony that afflicts these individual souls. All I can do is offer them then the love of God in Jesus Christ as a healing balm for their hurting soul and beg them to turn from themselves and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for healing and for hope. <laughs> but they still need to turn and trust. All have fallen short of their own will. Of what? Perfection. What's glory? God's glory is perfection. God's glory is the sum total of all of his attributes. The attributes of his greatness and the attributes of his goodness. It's all that God is, and God is perfect. God is light, and him is no darkness at all. Amen. We all fall short of that perfection. So, the right standing is required for all. Thirdly, the right standing is presented. Let's go on into verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Think about all the things that we have to do in life to gain approval from man in any particular situation. I have to study for a quiz and a test in school. I have to write papers. I have to reach academic requirements to fulfill the expectations of my teachers. We have OJT, on-the-job training, and then we might have a little 
job performance review on an annual basis. And that determines whether we're actually going to get a raise or even be kept under the hire of that particular business or corporation. Think about children doing chores at home in order to gain privileges granted by their parents. Before Paul's salvation in Acts 9, Philippians chapter 3 tells us what kind of life he was living. He was living the life similarly to any religious individual of our day who's just trying to dot their I's, cross their T's, do good, give money, and hope that someday God will be okay with it. One commentator says, the difference between man's pursuit of God and God's pursuit of man is that when someone's born again, God pronounces believers righteous at the beginning of their course and not at the end. That is so awesome to hear. Why is it so hard to receive? Some in this room are still saying, wow, that is awesome, but it's not necessary. My friend, it's necessary for you. God desires to make you perfect now, today. Perfect today. What did he say in Matthew 5? Jesus said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. How in the world is that going to happen? He made that statement to have you ask that question. How is that going to happen? To where Jesus comes back and says, it is not of your own doing. It's of my doing. I came to die for the whole of your sin. There is nothing you can do to gain favor with my Father. Nothing. Live 50, 60, 70, 80 years a devout religious person and hope that God's going to be in approval of you. I was a good son. I was a good daughter. I was a great student. I reached the highest level of position in the company that I had and received employee of the year awards. My kids bought me a t-shirt that says greatest dad on earth. Come on. That's got to count for something. And what Paul says here is, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ where God makes you perfect in Jesus at the beginning of your course, not at the end. Amen. Are you right before God? When God looks at you, does he see a perfect soul? None of us would say yes, but for those of us that know the gospel, we would say, when God looks at me, he no longer sees me, he sees Jesus. Amen. God sees an alien perfection that's not my own. It's his. I just turned from myself and threw myself at the feet of Christ and said, you are everything to me now or you are nothing. Are you born again? Are you perfect in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Are you justified? 
That's what it means, doesn't it? Declared perfect in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was recently on an airplane, and I was filling out a credit card application for that airline. And the only reason I was doing it is because they told me I was going to get two free trips. Amen. <laughs> and I don't really care about my credit score. I pay all my bills, so it's generally pretty good. Um, my intention was to get the free trips because the flight attendant said, get the card, use the trips, and as soon as you're done with your two free trips, cut up the card and cancel the account. Well, I was like, well, that doesn't hurt your credit score. It doesn't help your credit score to do that, but I didn't care because mine will rebound pretty quickly anyway. And I don't like using credit cards. I hate using credit cards. Credit cards are dangerous. They can be helpful. They can be tools, but they're generally dangerous. So I filled it out. Isn't it crazy how exhaustive the information that they want to you to get approved of a credit card? Your mom's maiden name? What do you care? Right? You own a home? Do you rent? If you own, how long? Who cares? Just look up my name. Apparently, the credit scores are free for everybody nowadays. Just trust the credit score online. What do you need all this data for? What's the social security number? I'm not giving you my social security number. Just this year, I've used my debit card to pay for three different restaurant meals, and all three times, the waitress used it to steal my identity. What do you think they're doing back there? They're taking screenshots of the front and back of your card. Not all of them. Don't, I'm not trying to put you in fear. That was a total bad story. It wasn't in my notes. Let's get back on task. <laughs> Let's get back on task. Three times that's happened to me. What's the point at hand? Look at all that we have to do for all the years that we have to do to gain approval of someone that doesn't even know who we are so that we can have a temporary benefit. Look at all that we go through. But think about what people do in the religious realm that way. For years, decades, all to hope, just maybe hope, that they'll have approval with God in Judgment Day. My friends, it won't be there. Because God placed all of your iniquity, all of your sin, on his son, the Lamb. All of it. All your wickedness, all your darknesses, all your immoralities, all those wicked thoughts, all those wicked intentions, just you but the sin of the whole world on his son. His son died your death so that you might live in Christ. It's actually that simple. Why not begin with him instead of hoping to end with him? Be saved today. He's a good God. I think you'll really enjoy him. <laughs> I can do everything I can to persuade you, but I understand my Bible too. It takes God to open up people's eyes to such, such, such intelligent simplicity. Intelligent simplicity. Our right standing is presented. It's a gift of his grace, isn't it? This gift is sourced in God giving us something we don't deserve. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? He could say confidently because of this righteous gift, I am crucified with Christ. Right? Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. What did Wesley, the great hymn writer, state 
in his hymn, Arise, my soul, arise, the final stanza. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. I'm justified. The text says here that I've been redeemed. The text goes on to say that God's wrath has been appeased. And God's character has been vindicated. Justified. Redeemed. Appeased. And justified. Vindicated. We got a long way to go yet in verse 24 and 25. So we're going to continue next week. I told you I was going to take my time through this context. And I trust you're okay with that. I'm assuming you are because you came back again this Sunday. So, so I, I hope to see you again uh, on the next Lord's Day that we address this context. Um, so keep faithful and keep going. Lots of riches here, right? I think this just reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1. The treasure chests of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. It's so immense. Um, but again, uh, simply and intelligently given to us here. Now, it's 11.33 and 30 seconds. I desire to be done every week by 11.35. Sometimes I'm early. Once in eight weeks, I'm late, typically. I'm not going to be late today. And Jesus might even come back before 11.35. Let this hope reside in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, and comfort one another with those words. I hope to hear a trumpet today from the clouds. My friends who are here who know a lot about Jesus but don't know him, you will hear that trumpet too. Only you'll be left behind. Only those who are in Christ Jesus are taken. And then you face a time on this earth that the Bible describes will be like no other time in human history. It's described in the book of Revelation. The Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. And my friends, trouble is trouble. The judgment of God, the wrath of God is revealed upon men. And it will be revealed upon you every day of your life, even when the church is taken away when Jesus comes, it'll be revealed upon your life every single breath you draw until you breathe your last. But then it doesn't end there. And God's judgment abides upon you, but remember, you choose. You choose to let it continue. Why? Because God's righteousness is also revealed. And you have the opportunity to look to Jesus and be saved. Amen. Do that today. Let's pray together.